This is the First Emmanuel Lutheran Church Podcast. For more information about us, who we are, or how to get connected, check us out online at filministries.org. All right, we are in the last chapter of Ephesians, and uh, we were going to begin talking about the armor of God. I'll give you a little announcement beforehand. Uh, next week, we're going to look at the book of, we're going to go through an entire book of the Bible. We're going to look at the epistle of Jude. And uh, it's a page long. So with any, with any amount of luck and blessings, we should be able to get through that uh, as a group. And then we're off the next Wednesday. Uh, we have a Thanksgiving kind of break thing. And then when we get back, it'll be Advent. So I found kind of a nice Bible study that looks at Joseph the carpenter. And I thought, that's kind of neat, because you don't hear one word of Joseph in the Scripture. He, his mouth is shut, his ears are open, his heart is wide to the Lord. So I'm, that's a couple more weeks. I'm not getting into it. Um, any questions on any of that? No? Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you bless us in so many ways, ways that we cannot even count. You uh, provide more than we could ever ask or imagine. And as we open your word, feed us, that we may grow in faith, hope, and love. Amen. All right. It's kind of an interesting, if you look at, if you look at this book of Ephesians, it's, it's, to me, it's written in a cyclical fashion. He starts off by praising God, right? So we've got the praise of God. And then he starts talking about um, who you are in Christ. You know, you've been saved by grace through faith, not because of anything that you have done. And uh, so then he, he ends up talking about uh, the unity of the church because there's no slave or free, male or female, Jew or Gentile. We're, we're all one. And uh, then if you remember uh, in chapter 5, uh, he, he moved that unity even down to the family. Husbands and wives and parents and children. And then, today, he's going to get about the, the armor of God. And, and it's, it's interesting because when you put on the full armor of God, you are protecting yourself so that you can praise the Lord. Or Ephesians? Yeah, Paul, yeah, and John would be the author of Revelation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what we, what we end up here is, um, it's, it's a cyclical thing, because we fall all the time, don't we? Yeah, but we always recognize that we have a God who loves us, we're saved by grace, we're, we're unified in the body of Christ, we're unified in our personal relationships, and... Make sure you put on the armor of God because it's easy to fall. And when you do, you get to praise God because 
of his grace that saved you and the church he put you in and the family he placed you in and then it's make sure you have the armor of God. Very similar, isn't it, to the, to the Old Testament prophets? Because we find this in the Old Testament. Israel, they love the Lord and the Lord is good to them and the Lord does wonderful things like give them a land or whatever and then they forget about him and they follow foreign gods and then all of a sudden evil befalls them and they cry out to the Lord and the Lord says, I'm here, I love you, I'll help you and they praise him and it starts all over again. And it's my story and it's your story uh, because we battle sin continuously, we fall um, easily and we are restored miraculously. So, all right. Any questions before we head into the armor? Jeannie. Um, Yep. When Paul made these letters, did he really think about them, or is it just that he let God like move his hands? Yeah, you know. Yeah, this is this is complex. When you read through the scripture, you know it's sixty-six individual books, and God uses the authors. What's interesting when we talk about inspiration of scripture. The interesting part is God used these, these people and he used their styles. So if you're in the seminary and the professor says, let's read one of the Gospels, you, you silently pray, Heavenly Father, let it be the Gospel according to John. It's the easiest Greek. He's a fisherman. But then the professor says, let's try Luke. And you say, oh, I should have had COVID today. Luke is a physician, and he's got some pretty good-sized words, and, and he's got these what's called hapax legumina, words that are only used once in the Scripture. And, and they, he writes in a very uh, detailed, fancy Greek. So the Lord gives the, the message and the words to the writers. They expound on... Uh, on, on the gospel message with their own flair, if you will, uh, their own style of writing. Uh, so it's not that uh, they've fallen into a trance. Okay, they're even cuter now, aren't they? Because they're dressed in Christmas costumes. Uh, it's not that they fall into a trance or they're like taking dictation. It's, it's this miraculous... Well, the scripture says it's God breathed or that uh, no prophet ever wrote by his own will, you know, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So it's, it's literally, it's God's word, but it's man who's put it on paper. Does that work? Now, if you take a look at the gospel of Luke, I think that we just talked about this. I taught confirmation this morning only because I needed a fix. Uh, <laughs> The gospel according to Luke, Luke's, Luke begins by saying, you know, I, I took it upon myself to, and really what he's saying is to study uh, this life of Christ so that I can put it on paper for you, Theophilus. And Luke, uh, Luke didn't walk with Jesus. Luke came on the scene with St. Paul, one of Paul's missionary journeys. So can you imagine Luke, this physician, this highly educated man, he became a biographer 
And I can imagine that he interviewed the disciples. Hey, John, tell me about the resurrection day. Oh, I got to tell you. These women came. We thought they were nuts. And I ran to the tomb. N- nothing there. And, and uh, then we had our two friends. Cleopas said he had met Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Who was that? Cleopas. You got his phone number? I got to talk to this guy. So they go talk to them. Mary probably told him that beautiful Christmas account, right? I mean, Luke is the one. If you're going to go Christmas, you go Luke, right? Because we got it memorized. Linus on Charlie Brown thing. It's beautiful, right? And I, I'm guessing he talked to Mary. So you, you've got some of these guys that are going out and doing the studying. And I can imagine uh, St. Paul, who today we would say he's a lawyer. Um, if you read through Romans, Romans is like a courtroom scene. You know, the, the, how about these Jews? You know, they are God's chosen people, but they ignored the Christ. But God loves them, but he's still calling them back to Christ. So it's, it's interesting. Every one of these guys has a different style. And then on top of that, a different flair as to who his audience is going to be? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. So was it, did Paul do like I did when I was in college and you write kind of an outline of your term paper and then you kind of write uh, a couple of index cards and move them around and then finally you type and then you realize your fingers were not on the home row keys <laughs> and you, you just invented your own language. Uh, and then you, you had to have whiteout. Remember that day? Oh, God. I was such a horrible typist. I bought it in, in an aerosol can <laughs> and went through it. Gail. Well, the the uh, women at, at uh, River of Life just started Galatians. And one oh, of the things yeah. In the first chapter of Galatians, it talks about Paul being called by Jesus and then spending three, over three years yeah. by himself, not talking to any of the other apostles or whatever. So I would guess that some of that philosophy that... Uh, and, and writing here was part of a part of what he gleaned from his study during the time. And his right. So he's he's by himself for years. Then he connects with the disciples. And now when we write to the Ephesians, he's spent a couple of years with them. So he's got a background with them. Um, yeah, I'm I am just absolutely astounded at the manner in which people could communicate two thousand years ago. Evidently, it worked pretty good. And then I'm astounded by Martin Luther, who, without a word processor or a computer, uh, was able to write as much as he did. I have the 56-volume set of Luther's works, and Concordia just announced they've got another 40 coming, I guess. So I'm not that wealthy. Um, But it's amazing how these people could communicate. Yeah, so you've got, you've got Paul who knows the people in Ephesus. And when we get to the letters, he's using the theology to uh, straighten out uh, their, their lack of following. You know, he's, he's addressing their, their bad theology. He's addressing their bad attitudes. Boy, when he writes to the Corinthians in that first letter, yow. That's a spanking. Yeah, it's a bad report card. Yeah. Good. Any other questions? Those are good. Steve. Yeah, 
I was there and somebody read this to me, you know, the first time, it's like, I, I might be lost because some of this stuff is pretty hard to explain. You know, <laughs> yeah, so the, the, the comment is if I'm, if I'm in Ephesus and they said, hey, we got a letter from Paul, let's hear it. Um, wow, there's some big stuff in here. I, I think the, the two things to remember is, number one, he's addressing specific issues that they're well aware of. So they're going to say, oh, you know, there isn't a difference between Jew and Gentile. And oh my, if I'm going to force the Gentiles to follow the Jewish customs, then I'm saying you got to be saved by works. So they get it. And the other is, I imagine they read these over and over and over. And that they passed them around. Yeah. yeah. So I think that might be some of what was going on. Yeah. I didn't close the shades. They were closed when I got here. No, you don't. <laughs> All right, you ready? Chapter 6, book of Ephesians, verse 11. And it says, put on the whole armor of God. So not just one piece. You would never go into battle with just a helmet. Or you would never go into battle with just your... Kevlar vest, or you would never go into battle simply with uh, a belt and a holster, right? You have to put on the whole armor of God. And uh, why? That you may be able to stand. What does that mean? What is, he, what is he inferring? Stay strong in the faith. Don't fall to deception. It's not just sinning, it's, it's don't fall away from the faith. There's a lot of deceivers out there. Gnosticism is big. you got people who are trying to be Judaizers, make sure you keep following the Old Testament rules. But no, 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 you, you've got to put on the whole armor of God, and then you're going to stand. And these, these challenges that are coming into the church, Paul calls schemes of the devil. The devil, the devil works mostly inside the church and not outside the church. He's not really all that worried about outside the church. He's already got a foot in that door. It's the inside the church that he really wants. So he wants the Jews and the Gentiles to be at odds with each other. He wants families to have unrest and brokenness without any forgiveness and healing. This is what the devil works on. He works on relationships, a relationship with God, with each other, and even with ourselves. So if, unless, you, unless you've got the armor on, you're not going to stand. Uh, something we... Jeannie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, here's, this is a good point. Jeannie's point is, this is proactive. You go do this. You put on. And we've switched now, haven't we? we remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about everything was passive? You've been saved by grace, not by works. God has given you faith through water and the word. It's all passive. Once you have that faith, you're active. It's two big Lutheran words. And uh, one is justification. Justification. 
And justification is the work of God in which we are passive. Sanctification is that we're going to take this faith and we're going to live it. We're going to engage it. So, yeah, this is where the active comes. So God gives me a faith, but on Sunday morning, I make the decision whether to go worship or not. Or on Wednesday morning, should I go to Bible class or not? Or uh, when we have an argument with someone, do I, be, do I disagree in, a, in an, uh, an appropriate manner? When someone has sinned and asks for forgiveness, do I hold a grudge or do I release through forgiveness? So the sanctification is, this is being given faith and this is exercising the faith. So at Christmas, someone can offer you a free membership at the gym. That's a gift to you, right? That's justification. What you do with that free gift is very important. Right? If I don't go to the gym and exercise, or if I go to the gym and I just sit at the smoothie bar, and nothing's happening. Right? Ann? Don't you think that taking a stand also refers to just speaking up for your faith and, um, you know, in certain situations? Oh, yeah. Supporting, whether it be supporting, like, the abortion yep. thing or when somebody's doing something. Really yeah. Like yeah. That. Whether it's within your realm of right. influence or outside. Yeah, it's being proactive, yeah. And what Paul's saying is, you need to be proactive, but you need to be prepared before you become proactive. St. Paul didn't go out and preach right away. He was a believer, but he spent years by himself studying the Old Testament scriptures to see Jesus. He spent time then with the disciples. So he needed to be prepared. You spend time in a seminary before you go into a pulpit. You spend time uh, in college before you become a, a teacher or an engineer. Uh, I want to know that my doctor went to a medical school, that my lawyer finished his degree, right? So this is, this is being armored up. It's being prepared. The sanctification part is a continuous. This is, this is called punctiliar. This is a single action. This is linear. This is a continuing action. We never get to the point to say, I'm armored up enough. So, I mean, let's put it in warfare means. Um, revolutionary war was fought in a certain way with certain equipment. It was different in the Civil War, much different in the First World War, much different in the Second World War, and today, grossly different, right? So we went from standing in line wearing red coats so people could see us very easily, and then just shooting at each other, to drone strikes and stealth bombers. So this is the deal. Is, um, Solomon said there's no new sin under the sun, but there are different ways to commit him. So we have to constantly put on this armor. Good? All right. Verse 12, why are we getting all armored up? It's because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. 
we may look, we may look at the society, we may look at the culture and say, oh, the, the people who are leading the culture, those people that run social media, that, that's the problem. The people that are in the White House or the State House or the Courthouse, those people, that's the problem. Oh, it's all those people that run these corporations, it's the union heads, it's uh, preachers, it's teachers, it's, it's the devil. It's the devil. That's the main enemy. It's the devil. We're wrestling not against flesh and blood, earthly human kind of things, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You think he nailed it there? Do you think he could become any more expressive? He doesn't just say, well, it's not just like humans we're fighting, we're fighting the devil. No, he lays it out. Authorities and cosmic powers and spiritual forces, and where are they? They're in this present darkness and in heavenly places. Heavenly does not mean where God resides. Heavenly gives us the image of the spiritual. A few years ago, I don't know if you remember this, a number of years ago, <clears throat> Cedarburg is the city of festivals, and they got some pretty cool festivals. They were planning the Spirit Festival. And they were having people come to do tarot card readings and all kinds of stuff. <coughs> it stopped because the pastor at Trinity in Cedarburg here wrote a letter to the editor and said, this isn't the kind of festival that we need to entertain. Wine, we like that one. <laughs> Harvest, we're good with that. Strawberries, oh, winter, yep. Spiritual, no. Let us as churches handle the spiritual. We're, we're doing a good job. And they cancel it. Yep. Yep. Yeah, they have tarot cards and the reading of Buddha and Confucius and yeah. Yeah, he was. So Paul's saying this is really important. Before he talks about the armor, he tells us why we need it. Where are my math people again? Okay. Um, counseling is available later. Uh, <clears throat> I remember high school algebra. Oh, my question to the algebra teacher was, when am I ever going to use this? Oh, he said, you find out. It'll come in useful. And you know what? He was wrong. <laughs> still... But Paul's not wrong. Paul is not wrong. <clears throat> He's saying it's out there. Take this seriously. So here you go. Verse 13. It's so serious. He says it again. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Do you see the sandwich? Verses 11 and 13 are the instruction and the warning. Okay, the instruction is you have to stand firm and to do that you have to put on the armor of God. That's verse 11. Verse 13 is you have to stand firm so you have to put on the armor of God. 
Verse 12 is right in the middle. And I'm going to tell you why. Because it's, you're fighting against some pretty ugly strength. <clears throat> we do this with our kids when they were younger, didn't we? And they first started to learn to drive, or maybe mom and dad said that to us. Right? So when you're driving, make sure you follow the rules of the road. Make sure you put your seatbelt on. I don't want 14 kids in my car. Got it? All right. Good. What time are you going to be home? 10 o'clock, Mom. All right, 10 o'clock. Now remember, you follow the rules of the road. I don't want 14 kids in my car. I don't even want five in my car. Gave the instruction twice. Why is that? Because we're stupid. <laughs> this, is why. this is why. This is why the Ten Commandments were given on Mount Sinai. They were already given. God wrote them in our hearts. Why does he put them on stone? Because it's easy for us to forget. We have to be reminded. This is what you do for your, ch your teenage children with chores, right? You have to write, you tell them, but then you have to write it down. And if it's a boy, you tape it on the refrigerator. If it's a girl, you hang it on a mirror. This is it. You have to constantly, Paul's constantly telling us it's ugly out there. It's evil out there. Verse 14, he's going to go through the, the equipment that's necessary. Stand, therefore. By the way, this is the third time he's told us to stand. We get it, Paul. But you're going to need this in order to stand. Having fastened on the belt of truth. All right, let's stop right there. Fasten the belt of truth. Where does your belt go? Where does the belt belong? Around your waist. So if you're Aaron Rodgers, you don't get a shot, but you do this, right? It's around the waist. Truth is equated with a belt. A belt goes around the waist. The waist, you know, uh, when we played football, uh, when I was playing some defense, the coach said, I'll give you one piece of in, in, information that you should never, ever, ever lose. Watch their belly button. Watch their belly button. They can give you a head fake and go the other way. They can plant a foot one direction, go the other way. You always go wherever your belly button's going, right? That's it. This is the truth. The truth is the guy's going the direction that his middle's going. That's the truth. The truth is right at his belt buckle. Paul is saying that has to be your center of gravity. You ha always have to be led by the truth. Which Truth is opposite of what? A lie. This is not a trick question. <laughs> truth is the opposite of a lie. A lie is the absence of truth. The devil began his work with deception, with a lie. Don't do that. Follow the truth. The truth is what? Well, the truth is God created everything. The truth is we sinned and brought evil into the world. The truth is Jesus loves us and came and gave himself for us. The truth is we can't work our way up to God, so God came down to us. The truth is if you believe that you get to go to heaven, this is the truth. You always have to have the truth. Where do we find the truth? Not a trick question. In the scriptures, this is the truth. This is the truth. This is, this is the belly button of your faith. So when Buddha's gazing at his navel, there's nothing. We get to see the truth of God. Not just the truth of God, but the truth of us. Scripture tells the truth about me. 
sinful, yet dearly loved. And he starts with the belt, the center of gravity. Then he moves to the breastplate of righteousness. Today, they still wear breastplates today, they just don't call them breastplates. Body armor, Kevlar vests, yeah. Um, and, and it protects the torso, why? Vital organs. We don't want our heart hit. We don't want to have our lungs punctured, right? We don't want ribs broken. This covers the heart. The heart in Christian understanding is the seed of what? Not a trick question. It's our faith, hope, love, right? So we have the truth, which puts in our heart the faith, and you have to guard your faith. And the reason is because the devil can twist things just ever so slightly. Did God really say you can't eat from any tree? What a stupid question. But we fall for stupid questions. Did God say you can't lie at all? I mean, it's just a little, it's a white lie. It's even, it's, it's, a white lie. Why is it white? Because we've whitewashed it to cover up the evil. Yeah. So it's very easy for us to justify the things that we shouldn't be doing. <clears throat> Everybody does it. Well, it's not as bad as, right? We, can ju we justify it. We have a sinometer, don't we? We have this little meter that tells you how bad sin. Oh, you got a. Okay, I, I got my first ticket in Arlington a couple years ago. 41 miles an hour in a 25 zone. Um, yeah, the Poinette policeman was so excited. <laughs> did you know what you did wrong? I said, yep, I entered the city limits. <laughs> but I, I should have said, well, at least I didn't shoot anybody, right? It's not as bad. I didn't come into your Walmart. Well, that, they don't even have a Walmart. I think they probably still have a Kmart. Don't ever go to that town. But, but this is how we do it. It's just, it's not as bad as, when you go to the prison system, they have a pecking order. Who are the worst people in the prison system? Children, pedophiles. Pedophiles are worse than murders. <clears throat> yeah. And they are actually kept completely separate. We, we can easily fall into this. And this is what, I think this is about guarding your heart. Because you can easily drift from the truth if your heart doesn't stay fixed on it. And it's the brass plate of righteousness. What does it mean to be righteous? It simply means to be right with God. The Pharisees and the Judaizers were teaching that the way you become right with God is what? Follow some of these ceremonial laws, right? You know, you do you 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 have a little checklist, right? Yep, got my sacrifice done. Yep, I you know what? Didn't do any work on the Sabbath. I didn't do any work the rest of the week either, so that's good. Um, you know, I I stayed away from that ham sandwich that my friend was eating, and so I'm okay. No, righteousness is that our righteousness is based on the work of Christ, right? that he did everything that was necessary. 
He lived the perfect life. He died on the cross to forgive sin, rose from the grave, whoever believes. This is the righteousness. The truth is the word of God, which tells the truth about God and me. Righteousness, the righteous heart, is a humble heart. The righteous shall live by faith. Habakkuk um, says it. Paul repeats it in Romans. And, and so it's this, this humble faith. Um, and as shoes for your feet, oh man, why were shoes important for soldiers? They had no, they had no troop carriers except shoes. Shoes. And, and the Roman way, they had the Roman streets. Rich, you and I saw part of the Roman streets, right? Absolutely. We're, that's our story. You better believe we are. Um, and they were stone pavements and it wasn't all even, but they marched. They marched. This, uh, uh, army marches not just on its stomach, but it marches on its feet. And even today, how many of you were in the military? They were pretty particular about your feet, weren't they? My dad was in the jungles in the Philippines, and they were pretty particular about making sure everybody's feet were dry and so forth. Yeah. So for your, for your feet, which is movement, put on the readiness given by the gospel of what? Peace. Isn't that interesting? We have an army that's going off to make peace. Usually we go off to make <coughs> but we're going off to make peace. Exactly. Um, go ahead. It depends on which, which side you're looking at. Uh, if, you're on, if you're looking at it from Satan's side, no, you're, you're there to make war. Yeah, but we're looking on Jesus' side here. We're looking at Jesus. Yeah, so it's, it's the gospel of peace. We're going off to make peace. So this is the word that's used when Jesus comes into the world, the angels sing, Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth with whom God is well pleased. And Isaiah told us that he was coming, this wonderful counselor, this prince of peace. But right in the middle of his ministry, Jesus said to his followers, Don't think that I've come to bring peace. Well, make up your mind, Jesus. What is it? So why is it, right in the middle of his ministry, he says, no, I don't think I came to make peace. And then he starts saying, you know, we're going to find brother against brother and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Well, that one's natural. Um, <laughs> but he says, there's all of these challenges in your relationships. Why? Because when you tell the truth about the faith in your heart, you're going to offend some people. Some people will be offended. When Paul's writing, the Judaizers were offended. They thought he was, he was uh, playing around with their doctrine, and he was, wasn't he? But the doctrine of truth was more important than the doctrine of man. So we are gonna, so, I mean, is it happening today? Right? And, and we, we say to the world, hey, we want you to know Jesus because he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And they look at us and say, 
Well, that's insensitive. Yeah. What have you been small? That's, that's just, that's, you're too exclusive for me, right? Or some of the morals and so forth of, of the world that we would say, eh, that's probably not a good thing. God doesn't want that. Well, I get to decide what's right for me. So we've got these challenges. When, we, when, you, when you, Jesus says, when you share the gospel of peace, you're going to rile some feathers. But the truth will always lead people to peace when they hear it, when they listen to it and follow it. <laughs> I think that's what's so hard for us as Christians is that taking the stand and keeping the peace. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it happens every time this year. It was more last year. Um, but there were articles. Did you notice that articles all over the place, people talking about on the radio and on TV news, 24-hour shows? How do we exist during Thanksgiving? And the bottom line was this. Shut up and eat your turkey. Right? To which I say, isn't that sad that we cannot have a civil discussion? Isn't that sad that we should be, especially the people we love, that someone should be able to say, I think we should be a socialist country and someone else should say, well, can you tell me why that would be good? And they could give their reasons and that person should say, obviously you don't agree with, tell me why you don't agree with me. Help me understand your point of view. Wouldn't that be amazing? Would that be wonderful? And then Jesus would come back with the angels. But every time one more comment is made, the decibel of volume goes up in the room. <laughs> yeah, and then you should just shut up and eat your turkey. Yeah. But this is, but this is what Paul, Paul prepared him for this line when he said, speak the truth in love, which brings peace. You're still going to ruffle some feathers. But what did Jesus say when he sent this, the disciples out two by two? Enter a town. If they don't accept you, what do you do? Hit the road. He didn't say throw stones through their windows, criticize them, ridicule them. No. Shake the dust off your feet. Okay. See ya. Off you go. It's kind of like being a physician, isn't it? And someone comes in and the doctor says, okay, here's what you need to do. And they say, not going to do it. What does the doctor say? Okay, let me know when your funeral is. I guess that's right. They know that right away. <laughs> Verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The shield of faith is the movable item. We started, we started with truth. Don't leave until you buckle your belt, get your truth going. Don't leave until you get your, your heart in order, right? Now you put your shoes on and now you're going. But you're going with peace. You're going to make peace. But make sure you have a shield because as you're going, you're going to get attacked. And the shield was movable, right? And its design was to stop the flaming arrows of the devil. Is that kind of a 
cool imagery? Have you, have you watched any of those old movies like um, uh, Braveheart where the, it's, it's all archers and, they, and at that one point, you know, that they could see the enemy getting there. Oh, and they all put their shields up and sat under it and all those arrows coming down on the shields. <laughs> and and you, have to, you have to be prepared to be attacked. Martin Luther is often called an anti-Semitic Lutheran. And I think there's two things to know about Luther. Number one, he could not wait to share the gospel with the Jewish people. Because he said, once we get out from underneath the tyranny of works righteousness, these Jewish people who've been doing works for so many years, they're going to come to see that the Messiah that they waited for was found in Jesus who did everything for them, and they are going to come flocking to the cross. Guess what? Didn't happen. Got them very frustrated, okay? <clears throat> the second thing to remember is as Luther became an old man, he became a decrepit man, and he had all kinds of internal organ problems, and he became that crabby neighbor who says, you kids, get off the grass. A lot of his writings at the end that were very bitter toward other people uh, happened during his most physically painful. I'm not excusing him. I'm just telling you some of what was going on in, in his life. But <clears throat> the thing is, um, Luther expected everybody, once he preached the gospel and its truth and purity, everybody's going to run toward it. Well, guess what, Marty? Doesn't always happened because Jesus himself did that. He didn't just teach the truth. He was the, truth. He was the embodiment of truth and they crucified him. So that shield of faith is, <clears throat> is a defensive weapon. It's only one of the two movable pieces of equipment. Everything else is very fixed. <clears throat> and it's a shield of what? <clears throat> Faith. It's a trust in Christ. Um, Constantine was uh, emperor of Rome in <clears throat> about 313. His mother was a Christian, Helen, and he became a Christian. Uh, he said he had a vision uh, before he went into battle, and, and it was Jesus kind of pretty much telling him he'd have victory and... Uh, so he decided that the Roman Empire would no longer be the Roman Empire. It would be the Holy Roman Empire. He put on all the shields of his warriors a cross because they were fighting for Christ. This is who we are. We are taking up the shield of faith. It's our, our faith, we have truth, right? <clears throat> And the truth will set us free because it gives us a faith. Your faith will always block the, the attacks of the devil. If you have truth and you have faith, you'll be okay. Are you going to be perfect? Of course you won't. But this is part of this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. <clears throat> We've been given faith so those two things can happen in our lives. You can, you can extinguish the flaming darts. To extinguish means to put them out. 
cancel them. Whose darts are these? It's the evil one, Satan, devil. Yep. And make sure before you leave, take the helmet of salvation. What does the helmet cover? Your noggin. What's inside your noggin? Nothing. Ty, Ty Cobb was playing baseball, I think he was, it was an away game, and he was stealing second base, and they threw to second, and they hit him in the head, and he was unconscious because they didn't wear batting helmets then. They put him in the hospital, and the headlines in the paper the next day were, X-rays of Cobb's head shows nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so what's underneath our helmet? Hopefully there's something. It's a brain, right? The brain thinks. It reasons. We're not saved by human reason, but God has given us human reason so that we know to move the shield, to put on the shoes, to buckle the belt, to cinch the body armor. So it's important for us to have human reasons. It's not as important as faith. Faith should guide our human reason. Faith guides our human reason. Does that make sense? Right? So that we can reason out. If we're struggling with a sin, faith and reason says, uh, I got to get away from, I got to get away from whatever it is that's tempting me. Um, and it's the helmet of what? Salvation. Salvation. Always keep in mind that you are already saved. Always keep in mind that you are already saved. Always, you know how the story ends, do you not? We win. Uh, our, our sermon this week is on um, the endurance of Noah. I can only imagine if my family and I were crammed in that boat with all of those animals for 150 days, how difficult it would be to endure. <clears throat> he knew how the story was going to end. When you know how the story is going to end... It's okay. And you got to look at yeah. what, was, what, were, what were the alternatives? Yeah, yeah. Um, heart surge, uh, open heart people. Not so much today, but back when they, you know, sawed you in half and stuff. The doctor would remind people, uh, for, a, for a couple of weeks, you're going to feel worse than you did before you had the surgery. But after that, you are going to notice a difference. And, they, and the doctor would say, so when you're feeling horrible for the first couple of weeks, think down the road. Think about how good this is going to be. Is that easy to do? It's not. But it's like, hey, keep your head in the game. Always remember you're one in Christ. Always remember how the game ends. And, and then you have the sword of the Spirit. If, if the shield of faith was defensive, the sword of the Spirit is offensive <clears throat> and the sword of the spirit is the word of god most often the 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 best weapon was a two-edged sword right we have one-edged knives swords two-edge boy they really cut the bible is a two-edged sword on the one hand one edge is the law it shows us our sin the other edge is the gospel that shows us our Savior. The law says, this is what you got to do. 
if you want to be right with God on your own, the gospel says, no, 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 no. Look at what Jesus has done for you. The law says sin deserves eternal death. The gospel says forgiveness brings eternal life. We preach both the law and the gospel. <clears throat> the gospel without the law is mere sentimentality. The law without the gospel is misery. You got to have both. That's why, and I mentioned this before, that's why uh, all, all those commercials that you get, that you love to watch. Anybody like watching commercials? I, I, every once in a while, there's just too many at once now. Used to be there were two one-minute commercials. Now there's 27, 13-second commercials. But commercials are interesting because it's a two-edged sword. It's law and gospel. Here's, here's your problem. Here's our solution. Isn't it? This is the Bible. Here's your problem. Sin, death, hell. Here's my solution. Jesus, faith, heaven. That's why we carry the sword. How dangerous it is for us to take a one-edged sword. If we share only the law, horrible. If we share only the gospel, not good. But we have to take both out. Um, the word of God. We speak God's word, not ours. So when, when people say, well, how can you Christians say, fill in the blank? My answer is always, oh, I, I got that from God's word. I'm just a messenger. You really think the Bible is God's word? Yep. Yeah, I do. I really do. <clears throat> and some people might say, well, that's why you're crazy. Or why you're ignorant. Or why you're intolerant or insensitive. It is because you're clinging on to some... 2,000-year-old book that has no meaning today. What do you do with that? Uh, I don't know, anybody ever hear of a guy named Nabil Qureshi? He was a, a Muslim, uh, and he was a college kid, and he enjoyed uh, talking to Christians uh, because he'd ask them questions about their faith, the fellow students, and they couldn't answer. It's like, how do you know Jesus was real? Well, the Bible says, well, okay, let's take the Bible out of the equation. How do you know there really was a Jesus? And they'd go, uh... He, um, he asked one of his roommates in his last year, <clears throat> how do you know there is a Jesus? He said, well, because of the Bible. Well, how do you know that the Bible is reliable? And his roommate laid out bibliographical testing and all of these reasonable things, Nabil Qureshi started reading the Bible. He became a Christian. He joined Ravi Zacharias's group. Unfortunately, he died a few years ago of stomach cancer at age 36. Uh, but in the short time that he had, uh, it made a huge impact. So when we go out and we, we carry the word of God, that's what we do. Um, those of you who were in the military and you did all that marching, do you guys really do that um, cadence thing with little songs? 
You still remember them? I won't make you do it right now, Bob. But you still remember those? You left, you left, you left your home, you're ugly, whatever they say. Um, we're supposed to do that. Did you know that as Christians? When we put on our armor, we're supposed to go off and march with cadence, and it's in verse 18. It's praying at all times in the Spirit. You know, last week, you know, Lois and I were chatting a little bit about um, mainline Christianity, and I'll throw Lutherans in there big time. Uh, Holy Spirit sometimes gets short shrift. You know, we don't, we don't do a lot. How many prayers on Sundays do you hear? Like, you know, we pray to Jesus and the Father, and there's not a lot of them that say, oh, Holy Spirit, right? I throw some in there every once in a while. But the Holy Spirit, I think, is a pretty important guy, yeah. right? Equally important with the Father and the Son, according to that Athanasian, Athanasius Creed. Um, we have to do it in the Spirit. You can't do any of this stuff without the Holy Spirit. And Paul emphasizes it, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. In other words, he said, pray, pray, pray. Do we do that a lot? A lot of times we pray and our prayer is more like this. Hey God, I forgot my shield at home and I'm in a little trouble right now. I've fallen to temptation. It's okay to do that, isn't it? Hey, you know, someone was having a conversation about how do you know there is a God and I just kept the sword of the word in the scabbard and I didn't say anything. Our prayers need to be proactive. Lord, I'm walking into a tough world. Help me with the armor. Lord, even when I'm with family and friends who are fellow Christians, it's not always easy because we're human beings. Help me. Help me make peace. And to that end, he said, okay, after you've done all this stuff, keep alert with all perseverance. Perseverance is don't give up, stick to it. Making supplication, that's asking stuff. For all the saints, don't just pray for yourself, pray for the whole Christian church. And you know what Paul says? And me too. And what do you need to pray about me? that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. This is the prayer that we need in this culture at this time. We should make it easy to speak our heart. It's so easy for us to speak our mind. We need to make it as easy to speak our heart, our faith. Why? Because we want to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. A mystery is this. People don't just naturally get it. You know, when we're born, we have natural instincts, don't we? Right? Hunger, like to be held. How many of you had one of those kids, when you put it down, it just didn't stop screaming? You had to just keep picking it up. Remember those? Stopped when it was 18 years old. <laughs> That's it. Um, what people don't naturally, they naturally understand they need a God. They don't naturally understand who he is. This we have to keep in mind. That our job, what Paul says is, um, 
help me, help me to boldly share the good news of Jesus. Verse 20, which I'm an ambassador in chains. I'm a representative of Jesus and I'm in chains, I'm imprisoned. But even while I'm in prison, help me share the good news of Jesus. Why? That I may declare it boldly. He says it twice, as I ought to speak, as I ought to. That's expected. It's, it's just a natural expectation of Christians to be able to demonstrate their faith. That's part of being a Christian. Have you ever heard someone say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a little quiet about my faith. All right, live it out. You don't have to, you don't have to sit next to someone on the, on the airplane and say, Jesus died for you. That's going to be kind of like, go. Yeah. You can engage someone and have a conversation. You don't really share the gospel unless you have a relationship. That's the big thing. Relationships are the big thing. I would imagine Paul was having a pretty good relationship with the people who had him in chains. I think he's that kind of guy that engaged them real well. Uh, Verse 21, so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. They're worried about him. As a matter of fact, it seems like they're a little upset. They think it's because of them that he's in prison now all the time he spent with them. And he's trying to say to them, don't worry. If I wasn't with you, I'd be somewhere else in trouble. Um, uh, Tychicus, the, the beloved brother, that's another word for fellow Christian, and faithful minister, he must have been the leader of the congregation, uh, will tell you everything. So he's going to tell you how I'm doing. I don't want to take this time to let you know how I'm doing. I'm doing fine. We'll, we'll let your pastor tell you exactly how I'm doing. And I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Paul's fine. Paul's doing okay. As a matter of fact, Paul's sharing the gospel with the prison warden. And he finishes this way. Peace be to the brothers, to the faithful, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is, your hearts might be troubled. Just live in peace. It's a, I'm okay. You're okay. Keep the armor on. Be bold in your witness. Everything will be fine. And then he finishes as he normally does. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible, which is the love of Jesus. We did it. We had to shift gears at the end, but we did it. Good. Book of Ephesians. Next week, hey, Jude. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about First Emmanuel Lutheran Church, visit filministries.org. Have a good day, and God bless.